Welcome to the Shack 15 Conversations podcast, where we invite founders, innovators, and changemakers to share ideas with the community, speak to the experience of building their businesses, and unlock some of the hard-earned wisdom collected along the way. In this episode, we'll join our moderator, director of Andreasen and Horowitz Cultural Leadership Fund, Chris Lyons, in conversation with our guest, Zach O'Malley-Greenberg. Senior Editor of Media and Entertainment at Forbes and author of the book A-List Angels, how a band of actors, artists, and athletes hacked Silicon Valley. We'll discuss how the modern investment landscape is changing under the influence of celebrity capital and examine the cross-section between hip-hop street culture and traditional entrepreneurship. Enjoy. So uh, I'm the senior editor of Media and Entertainment at Forbes, and I've been there for about a decade. And, and basically, over the past 10, 12 years, one of the stories I've been following uh, really closely all along is, you know, this phenomenon of stars investing in startups. So from athletes, actors, uh, musicians, you name it, getting in on companies like Uber and Airbnb and so forth, um, you know, back when we could have considered them startups. Uh, and uh a few years ago, I wrote a cover story on Ashton Kutcher um, as somebody who was really kind of at the forefront of the trend and, uh, you know, profiled him and Biosphere together and how they created their fund and, and some of the strategies they used. And, um, you know, after it came out, uh, it was actually, it was like, I think it was the, that issue was the most widely read Forbes issue in Forbes' history to that point or something. And, mm-hmm. um and I thought, gee, I mean, I guess people, you know, this seems like maybe a bit of an esoteric phenomenon, but people are really into it. Uh, so, you know, why not kind of tell that story a little more deeply? And I'd written books before about the business of media and entertainment and that kind of thing. Uh, so I thought this would be the, the next great story to tell. And what, what year did was that, uh, was that Aston Kutcher, um, uh, the cover story? Uh, that was in 2016. Got it. Yeah. The story, uh, uh, I, I, it was on kind of a tight deadline and it, it popped up at the very last minute and I ended up writing a lot of it on vacation in Hawaii. So a significant chunk of that was cranked out, um, like in a van on top of a volcano. <laughs> well, you can get great thinking done out there. So clearly, uh, yeah. that, you know, the secret formula for hit cover stories for sure. And obviously like we're out here in the Bay and this, and you know, this is c- kind of something that we, we also emphasize, but in 2016, that was definitely um, a new just story and topic in general. So like, how, how did you even come about it? And like, what made you inspired by even wanting to, to write about, you know, normally, you know, every like Forbes covers the, tr- the traditional venture capitalists, but this was a, an entirely new segment that was really starting to take off. And, you know, you know, obviously Ashton and, and Guy were very early off uh, from getting actually into equity and into startups. So how did how did that come across your radar? And then, you know, why did you decide to write about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny when you think about it. And in the book, I go really far back, like into the early 20th century um, to kind of look at the trend of, you know, athletes and entertainers and, and what they would do off the field or you know, outside of the studio or so forth. Um, there, there were kind of examples here and there. Babe Ruth was actually quite a businessman. Uh, he had a, like a hat shop in Manhattan. He had some other, you know, kind of kind of side hustles. Um, and then, you know, you start to see 
in the 80s and 90s, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, um, you know, getting deals, endorsement deals, uh, shoe deals, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, th th there were actually a few examples of actors and entertainers getting paid in equity, you know, like even in the first dot-com boom. Um, so William Shatner, some of you might remember, got paid for a Priceline endorsement in Priceline stock. And there were some erroneous reports out there saying he'd become a billionaire from it. Uh, you know, he, he did all right on it, but it wasn't, you know, <laughs> uh, never has to work again or anything. But, you know, so that started to happen. And, and um, but then during the bust and, and sort of like that, the first dot-com bust, and then, you know, a few years later with the, the Great Recession, um, there was sort of a sense that, you know, that tech was, was not necessarily that sexy in a way that it had been. And this convergence that you had started to see of the William Shatner's being interested in investing or taking equity, um, you know, and people like Bill Gates and Paul Allen wanting to kind of, you know, sync up with the Hollywood side, um, you know, it, it cooled off a little bit. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think one of the main reasons for that was that in Silicon Valley, right, you get paid in equity and you, you know, you get, you take a little bit up front mm -hmm. to get a lot later. And in Hollywood is the reverse. So, you know, if you're an actor, you're working your whole career. Um, you know, if you're a musician, you're working your whole career to get to the point where you can get an advance, where you don't have to do something on spec. Mm -hmm. So there was this period of time around the turn of the millennium where, you know, it was kind of this culture clash and the Hollywood people were like, pay me up front and the, and the Silicon Valley people are like, what are you talking about? So, you know, it, it wasn't really until there started to be uh, a couple more examples of, of it working out of sort of like betting on yourself um, that it started to take off. And, and what Ashton Kutcher said really convinced him uh, was when he saw 50 cent walk away with about a hundred million dollars um, on his vitamin water deal. So 50 in the, in the late aughts had mid to late aughts had taken on um equity in vitamin water's parent company instead of just getting a cash endorsement yep. and you know he was in commercials he did all this stuff and one thing leads to another coca-cola buys a company for four billion dollars 50 walks with 100 million and ashton mm -hmm. kutcher sitting there like why am i doing you know why, why why am i taking checks for uh you know for for being in a commercial when i when i could get an actual piece of the company um yep. but at that point in time it was still not that sexy right it was you know, it was like very early. It was just at the dawn of social media, um, you know, and, and I think that that was a thing that all these, um, suddenly these, these entertainers were much more valuable to startups because, oh, hey, that, that one tweet from Ashton Kutcher, first person to a million followers on Twitter could really come in handy uh, in terms of, you know, building the audience. I think that's how it kind of began. Yep. Oh, by the way, that was an ambulance outside that some people were asking um, that that may happen again. It's been more frequent than usual uh, out here these days. So yeah, no uh, prayers to New York. So, yeah. but no, ab absolutely, man. I think that that definitely really started to open up people's eyes and realize that hey, uh, there's alternative ways in order to actually you know not only acc accumulate wealth but also diversify your your investment portfolio and not always have to think about going publicly and, you know, going into the stock market, but that there, there's also, um, you know, ways in which there's, there's alternative options in order to, you know, really kind of see, put yourself at the forefront of, of business and, you know, culture at the exact same time. So, 
Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, certainly, I think certainly as, uh, as time went on, you know, and in recent years, you're seeing more and more, those IPOs get delayed. And so the ability to get in early on some of these companies is even more important when, you know, you're not really getting a chance to, to get that much of the return if you're getting in at the IPO. Exactly. Yep. But then also, you know, when it, when you have to think about it, it's like, how do you even, everybody knows how to get into like become a musician or to become, you know, a, an, an actor or, but when it's to invest into publicly traded company or privately traded companies or the next generation startups, like how did you think that uh, just this, this, this new group was able to kind of learn and figure out the end, the ins and outs between the space. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the kind of miraculous and simple answer is that they just asked a lot of questions. I mean, that's, you know, for everybody I interviewed um, from Ashton Kutcher to Shaquille O'Neal uh, to Sophia Bush that, you know, their answer is pretty universal. Like go in and ask dumb questions. Um, you know, don't be afraid of sounding like you don't know what you're talking about. That's the only way to, eventually know what you're talking about and um and i think that you know some of the entertainers who got in who started getting in you know early um you know they they developed a respect there's a level of respect in the valley for somebody like an ashton kutcher who who actually came up and and really sat down with everybody and, and took his time to learn it instead of just kind of you know fly by night you know zipping in and and um and you know expecting everybody to to drop what they're doing and talk to him so you know, that, that was definitely a big way. Um, but, you know, there are also a lot of kind of hilarious coincidental ways uh, that, that some of these folks got in. So what, one of my yeah. favorite... I was going to say, what is the craziest one that, that, that you've heard so far, just in terms of people, you know, like just fun stories that you would never expect, or even just hearing from people getting into the game unknowingly? Yeah, no, uh, I think Shaquille O'Neal was one. Um, and he said that, he got into Google pre-IPO. So we're talking, you know, mid nineties here and the way it happened. Yeah. He he did all right on that one. And the way it happened was he was in a, a, um, a restaurant, uh, and some kid came up to him and he was playing with the kid. The kid was a fan. And one thing led to another, the kid's dad came over and said, Hey, um, Hey Shaq, you know, thanks for being so nice to my kid. Do you want to invest in Google? (laughs) Uh, sure, that seems like a good idea. So, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, a lot of these characters obviously have, you know, business people, managers uh, around them who can kind of vet and, and so forth. But um, if you're, if it's far enough along that it's Google in the mid 90s, and you have probably like a, a pretty good sense that, it, you know, it's it's a safe bet. And you can see that smart VCs have gone in and, and, and put their money there too. So any risk that you're taking you know, as long as you're being responsible and keeping it to five or 10% of your portfolio, um, you know, you, you're just taking the same risk that people who've been studying this all their lives are, are and, and, but you're being able to get in, you know, for a smaller check size or on rounds or at valuations that, you know, ordinary mortals usually cannot. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, but the, one of the things that's really interesting is that, you know, and this is what we talk about when we work with, with talent or anybody in the industry is that you can't just come in and just bet on one company and hope that that's going to be the winner. Like the people who are successful are the ones that actually, you know, come in and create, you know, an entire strategy, say I'm going to invest into 10, 20, 
30 companies and put 25 to 50K checks into, you know, a wide range of deals from C to series D or early stage, late stage, whatever. And so, you know, because it's not all of them work out, you know, and so like some might actually, you know, what we call like a single or a double, like, you know, 2X or 5X, some might strike out and, and end up, you know, losing all your money. And then there's the ones like the Google that will like give you, you know, hundred X on your return. So, I mean, it's, you have to be very, you have to have a long-term approach when you're kind of going into these things. And from like in the book, did you, or from, from your conversations, have you heard of any people uh, that had any examples that just didn't necessarily work out where they thought that, Hey, this was going to be, you know, the next Instagram or, you know, the next Facebook, and then come to find out that uh, this actually was a, a complete flop and, and the company was going down in 30 days or? Yeah, uh, you know, there were a bunch of them and a, a pretty interesting one was Blackjet. That was the Uber for private jets, you know. I think it was founded by um, Gary Camp, uh, you know, one of the Uber co-founders and, and um and some other folks, you know, some other VC folks, it was an amazing list of investors, uh, both in the Valley and in terms of Hollywood types. So Ashton Kutcher invested, Jay-Z was in on it. Um, you know, it was a lot of the, the Uber, sort of Uber mafia that came in. Um, they had just had this great success with Uber. And, you know, at that point in, I think it was 2013, that the party round for Uber um, when, you know, Ed Norton came in and Sophia Bush and, um, a lot of celebrities, uh, you know, that was something that Guy O'Siri said made more money for Hollywood than, than like any movie, you know, with all the Hollywood stars who, um, who, who ultimately, you know, uh, came in on it. I think there was, a this idea that if you got the same people together to try to address a similar problem, but instead of on the ground, it's, it's in the air. Um, you know, that this would be a, a like similarly huge bonanza, uh, but it didn't quite work Uber out. That everything way. model was a, was a real, there was a moment where there was Uber for everything, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, a friend of mine had a, a website briefly called non-starter and you, it would just automatically generate like a startup pitch. You know, it's like blank, but for blank, you know, Uber, but for private jets. So yeah, that's, that's sort of what, what uh, they thought was going to happen. Um, th there was a ton of money sunk into it. And, you know, but I think at the end of the day, um, the, the, you know, you, you're targeting this, this very, you know, elite tiny slice of, of the, uh, of the market. And, and somebody said, I think who I talked to for the book, you know, you're talking about the people who are flying all have egos the size of office buildings. They don't want to share uh, <laughs> yeah. with anybody. And, um, and so it, you know, it sputtered and eventually crashed. And so, uh, you know, uh, a lot of folks kind of, you know, lost their shirts on it. But then again, particularly with these celebrities, uh, much of the time they come in, either they get advisory shares, they do a mix of investing their own money and getting advisory shares. Uh, you know, so when you lose on it, if you're, if you're Jay-Z, you're, you're not, you know, it's not like you're losing do dollar for dollar. Maybe you're losing 50 cents on, on the dollar you would have invested or something like that. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, certainly the startup landscape is littered with examples of that. And, you know, nobody likes to, to tout them. And then they're always kind of, you know, there are a few of them where 
there's there, there are those exits where it's like oh yeah it's an exit but actually it's not so great so you know yeah. uh, certainly um this class of investors not immune to that either no no i agree but one thing that this this class has that a lot of people don't is that they've are they already have you know some sort of wealth or fame or you know i mean look the, the title of your book is a-listers <laughs> you know and so it's like really helping you know why why in terms of like so many different lanes where we're thinking about strategic investors um you know why do you think it's important to focus on just this specific group of talent that are already doing great things and like why should why should people even care when you know so and so is actually you know investing into this new company or getting involved like you know because you know I, we we work on this on a day-to-day basis and so there's uh, there's a lot of underlying reasons but to the to the public who just are just looking at a headline like why why does this why is this important and why do you think that this matters like you know just in in today's climate when there's so many other things that we're that we're thinking about yeah i mean it's a great question and, and it's more relevant now than ever and um one of the things i get into in the book and in, in the the kind of introductory part is is this history of creators and how you know they've just been historically exploited uh, as a class of laborers really i mean if you go back into the early 20th century in the studio system in hollywood um i think it was james cagney uh at one point threatened to leave Hollywood and go to medical school because mm-hmm. it was it was a valid threat based on salaries. Doctors and movie stars uh, made you know the most uh, about about the same at that time. Um, not saying that you know especially now that that uh, doctors should not be elevated to to uh, movie star levels of pay, but um, but in any case that that's what the reality was back then. You know, um, actors if they were lucky were paid just like any sort of you know, moderately successful professional. Um, and it wasn't really, you know, you know, the stories of musicians getting, you know, trade, somebody gives them a Cadillac and a bottle of wine and takes their publishing for the rest of their life and then die broke. So, you know, stories like that. Um, Shaq, you know, talks about how the reason he got into investing, I mean, this is a great moment in the book too. He's like, why, you know, Shaq is sitting there, you know, kind of like looming over the table. And I'm like, so why invest in so like what you know you you're doing fine like what's the point of that? and he goes he goes fear mm-hmm. you know Shaq is afraid what is Shaq afraid of he said you know fear of going broke basically because the statistics on athletes after they uh, you know and their careers uh, like so many go broke after just a few few years and the idea that you know suddenly there's this path um, to 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 a class of of laborers that that has a very short window uh, in which to make their money, there's this opportunity to create generational wealth, um, to set themselves up for the future and, you know, to sort of, to, to change, to flip the script really on this story that had been, you know, told so many times and ended so sadly in the past. And, um, and I think this leads, you know, in, into what you're doing, Chris, um, with CLF, but, you know, just the idea of when kids can look up and see, Shaq or Nas or Sophia Bush or Serena Williams um, investing in companies or, you know, uh, empowering, you know, young people who are engineers who are writing code. Um, it just, it, it kind of broadens the horizons of, of, what, yeah. of what people could think is possible when they see somebody who looks like them doing, doing that thing. And 
Um, and I think that's honestly like the most important takeaway uh, from all this. No, I would agree. I think like, especially if you're looking at just, you know, if you look at the individual themselves, I mean, I think it's the first thing is that you have to actually look at um, who they are and their interest into this industry. And you realize that, you know, someone like a Serena, for example, is not just a tennis player. She's an entrepreneur. You know, she has her own uh, clothing company. Uh, she's, you know, dabbled in, in, in dance and film and, and all different types of entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, like outside of her investing. And I mean, Forbes did a whole cover on her and how she was acing venture capital. And, uh, you know, I think that she's one of the best in, in, the, in the game to do it. But, you know, it, it, it does a couple things. One, I mean, if you, even if you think about just the industry, um, even if you think about just the venture capital industry, like, and the number of like African-American diverse backgrounds getting into, into investing, like it's a super small number. And so we need to, and also you think that's where the next generation of wealth is going to happen within the industry, then we need to make sure we have a seats at these tables. And then the same way as someone like Serena can, you know, uh, paint a light to say, Hey, come, you know, be, I'm going to inspire you to be a tennis player. Now you can inspire, um, you know, that next generation person to, uh, want to get into STEM education so that then they could maybe work at the same company that Serena is an investor into, or, you know, also maybe be an investor herself. And really just, like you said, kind of defying the limits on what people think is possible. And so we're really seeing that, and especially from a cultural standpoint, if we are going to help impact and drive these next generation companies, it makes sense to have equity ownership. Uh, you know, Beyonce said it best, pay me in equity. So, you know, and that, that's a, that's a, a great example of what, why, why it's important today. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you, you touched on a really important point there, which is that all these platforms were built off of, you know, cultural movements. Um, you know, I mean, in, to a large extent, hip hop, if you think about the impact that hip hop has had uh, on, you know, the growth of Instagram, um, you know, you, talk, you mentioned DJ Khaled with Snap, um, you know, all the entertainers who were on Facebook early on and Twitter. And, you know, there was definitely this sentiment uh, that I talked to on the Hollywood side where they were like, these platforms would not exist without us because it would be, you know, it's like a museum with no paintings. Um, but then, on the on the Silicon Valley side, the argument was like, well, if there were no building, you would you your painting there wouldn't be anywhere to put the painting, so you know there there would be no there, so I think either you know, on both sides there's kind of this attitude that and it was funny because this was the area where where people were the least likely to go on the record um, than anybody I talked to for the book. They would you know on on they'd be on the record saying, oh yeah, you know it's so great, blah blah blah, but then they would you know kind of on the side say like, actually, you know, we deserve all the credit. You know, you saw a lot of entertainers coming out of, you know, 20, 2008, 2009, at the sort of the dawn of social media um, saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, like we're really, we really kind of, we feel responsible for, for building up these companies and we don't really have anything to show for it aside from the followers and, you know, a way to communicate directly with our fans, which is huge, but we don't have any, ownership of the platform itself and yep. so I think that really spurred the next you know in the in the, in the early uh, 2010s you know this kind of movement to to get in on the next wave and so investing in the Ubers and the Airbnbs and the Spotify's of the world um, yeah, I think particularly with Spotify and Uber they did these big party rounds where you know um, 
with you know with, with the help of certain well-connected folks in Hollywood and certainly you know, like Troy Carter and D.A. Wallach on Spotify were, were among them um, and, you know getting the right people to invest and in the case of Spotify it served them quite well because you know once artists had equity in the company they were more likely you know to, to support Spotify as a as an institution um, certainly the labels were able to to grab a big chunk of Spotify yeah. Um, which, uh, which was very smart of them, um, you know, as opposed to back with, you know, the days of Napster trying to sue it out of existence. So, um, you know, much better to, to, uh, I guess, enable, um, a platform and then to, to own a piece of it than to, to try to whack a mullet out of existence. Yeah. And then the other thing about that, that's also really interesting is that it's not just even on the investment side, but also it's on the, what we like to call shared value. So it's basically like, you know, now you're getting industry expertise from somebody that eats, sleeps and breathes this. And now you're putting them into the into the office and allowing them to work with the engineers, work with the CEO, work with the head of product and say, like, no, this is actually really how we do things. And this is where the future of it can go and why it makes sense to have uh, you know, someone like that as a strategic investor or a strategic advisor, you know, but I think it's just really just it changes the whole dynamic. And then it really allows people to kind of follow up and say, okay, wow, like there's actually real value that can, that's coming from this relationship uh, that, that, uh, that really can help change the dynamics and, 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 and open up new doors and, and new, new creations in terms of where things can go in the future. For sure. You know, and, and I think that, certainly things have evolved from where they were in those, you know, maybe a decade ago of like, oh yeah, you know, please invest in my company or, you know, invest and we'll give you some advisory shares. Um, so, you know, and then all you need to do is tweet about it and that's what's valuable to us. Now it's a little more of an advanced calculation, you know, sure that's nice, but also, you know, how, how are you going to help us at a, in terms of a public appearance? Are you going to appear at the law, you know, we're launching in a new city, um, you know, let's get some football players on that, you know, who are on, on that team uh, in that city to, you know, to be a part of it. Uh, you know, what about like making calls, especially, you know, if you're a, if you're a really early stage company and you're kind of like a no name um, outfit, you know, the ability to have this, there's one of my favorite stories in the book was um, Joe Montana has a, you know, he's a fund and he has a bunch of, I think over a hundred companies in the portfolio and, and one of them really wanted to connect with Snoop Dogg uh, to get him to become an investor as well, because it, it's made sense for them strategically. And he's, and he said, um, he's like, Oh yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get in touch with Snoop Dogg. And it's not like he and Snoop Dogg were, you know, hanging out every weekend, but if you're Snoop Dogg, you're picking up when Joe Montana calls and vice versa. And, exactly. and similarly, <laughs> you know, wh whoever it is, you know, you're probably going to pick up the call when you see that it's Joe Montana, even if you have nothing to do with football, you know who he is. You're like, that's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll take the call. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the ways where it's, you know, definitely uh, coming in handy for, um, for this next wave. What do you think, how, like, you know, obviously uh, we went from, the first wave, which was, uh, you know, just Twitter, Facebook, Airbnb, this most recent wave, which, you know, which was kind of like uh, the gig economy and, um, you know, the Uber for this and Uber for that, you know, especially with the circumstances and conditions that we're, we're seeing today. 
and having to, you know, have Zoom calls and, um, you know, talk, like really just start this remote and, and technology is really kind of accelerating, like this, just this ability to connect. Uh, what, what is it that you see that where, where people are gonna really start to come, come together? Yeah, well, interestingly, uh, I just wrote a story about Cameo. I, I don't know if you all are familiar, but it's basically, a, you know, it's a site you can go on um, or in an app that uh, you you basically can pay 30 bucks to have the backup first baseman on the Yankees, you know, sing you happy birthday or something. Um, but it, it extends to any, any you know, there, I think there's, tens of thousands of athletes and artists and, and musicians and actors and so forth, you know, all of whom are, are uh, out of work right now. And, and it's not all, you know, the Ashton Kutchers and the LeBron Jameses who can afford to just sit at home. I mean, you know, they're touring musicians who depend on that income, um, who can't get it. And so it makes a ton of sense for them to be sitting there cranking out, you know, $50 uh, little vignettes that they're going to send, you know, personalized to your specifications. Um, you know, that kind of thing to stay afloat. And they're, they're doing all kinds of relief efforts and so forth. They're having a, a two-day festival just dedicated to COVID relief, stuff like that. So um, that's actually a company that has a ton of um, celebrity investors, Snoop Dogg, Kyrie Irving, um, a, a couple of football players were among the very first investors. And, you know, that to me is like one of the rare businesses that uh, is actually doing better in our current situation. And I think they had last week bookings were up 80%, something like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, so I think well, that's, I'm sure business was down 80% for, <laughs> for a lot of the talent too. So it's kind right, of, right. Uh, but I mean, but you've seen now people just flocking to, to the site, you know, to, to work because it's one of the only places that they, they can right now. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's that kind of creativity, um, that's going to get us through this. Yeah, I think also one of the things that I've loved seeing and just being a part of uh, over these past few weeks is just kind of how fast people have picked up on, okay, look, like we clearly aren't getting out of this situation anytime soon. So how can we really innovate and, and leverage some of the resources that we already have to get up and running? Um, and, you know, you know, TikTok has been incredible in terms of just really blowing up the music industry and, and, and hit songs like what Megan Thee Stallion did with Savage and everybody doing these dances. And, you know, like, uh, I, I would put you on the spot, but you know, I know, you know, it's a, we'll, we'll say that for, for the, the, at, at the end. <laughs> um, but also like, you know, like what DJ D nice did with, uh, having, um, you know, over a hundred thousand people join his live stream on his quarantine party uh, you know, including like Michelle Obama and, and Oprah and even Joe Biden came in. And so it's just like a whole wide range of people all kind of coming together through social and through the internet and, and doing it without, there's no rule book and there's no like instruction manual. It's all about just really being creative and saying, okay, look, what can we do in order to keep this thing going? Because like, obviously, you know, we have to be safe, but at the same time, the, we still need to keep, uh, you know, keep our businesses moving and, and make sure we still stay relevant in, in every day. So, I mean, I, I and, and then now more and more companies are also starting to kind of come into that, that space as well and figuring out unique solutions that do kind of mirror ways in which things can actually get done easier, you know? And so, 
I'm, I'm, I'm super curious to see what that next, you know, like you, like you said, 2009 when during, during the last crash was, was when a lot of great opportunities were, were built up. And so for our team, you know, we're super excited about seeing uh, where, where the innovation will continue to push us forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we saw in 2009, uh, I mean, you know, the reason why people get good deals during dark times is that, um, you know, pe other people are scared to invest or, you know, they, it's hard to call the bottom and, you know, um, but uh, I guess fortune favors the bold and, and uh, you know, hopefully we're, we're kind of getting toward the toward the bottom of this and we'll be headed headed back up in the right direction soon. Hope so. I hope so. So I'm going to ask you a question that everybody normally asks me. So it's like, say, what would be your advice? Because we got a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in the room. Um, so I, I see uh, Jessica Patton, shout out to Jessica Patton. I see Kyle Womb, shout out to Kyle. I see uh, our man Joe has been asking a ton of questions. So thank you, Joe. Uh, everybody has been uh, really, feel free to, by the way, hop into the Q and A uh, or just send everybody some love right here in the chat. Um, so the question is, is basically like, so if you're an entrepreneur and you have a startup and you want to get this next influencer or, or, you know, Shaq to come in and invest into your deal, like what, how, what should they do? Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of like um, if you're hosting a, an Oscar party or something, right. Um, if you go directly to Jay-Z and you're like, Hey, Jay-Z, do you want to come to my Oscar party? He's not going to come to your Oscar party. But if you, if you have a friend <laughs> who knows, um, you know, maybe your friend is friends with Meek Mill and then you invite that friend to the party and then you can be like, Hey, Meek Mill, your friend is coming to the party, come to my party. So then Meek Mill is going and then his friend's going. And then you're like, you know, Hey, um, DJ Khaled, you know, uh, why don't you why don't you come on you know meek bill's coming to the party and then you go you know then, then maybe you go to um you know swiss beats and you and you tell him and and then well swiss is going so alicia keys is coming and then all of a sudden you have half a dozen people and it's the the bright oscar party and and then you and then you get jay-z because of course he wants to go hang out with swiss beach and alicia keys and dj Khaled and meek bill uh yeah, so, exactly. we've covered a bunch of stuff man we've been doing this for years so i think it's just it's been it's been great just to uh, be able to have conversations like this all the time and with somebody that gets it, but also, you know, on the reporting side. And so when we can send you tips uh, and like, whether it's, you know, like when we did the Nipsey Hustle uh, conversation, I thought that that was super special. Um, you know, also most recently we had a conversation with Bobby Wagner, um, which was, which was also great. And, you know, really just kind of keeping, um, you know, ahead of the curve and, and kind of looking out for each other on certain things that are happening. So I think it's great. And uh, the most important thing, especially on your end and why I encourage everybody to read the book is that uh, just your natural passion and your insights uh, that really are able to connect, um, you know, both worlds together. You, you don't get that very often. So I think it's really incredible. Uh, and not only just in your books, but in, in this book, but also just broader from your, your blog post and to, you know, 
Like you, you went out with Kanye West, you know, and just walked around like 10,000 Yeezys. Like, you know, it takes a certain type of person to have a full-time conversation and being able to be super ingrained during these moments and, 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 and have this mutual cap, uh, captivating uh, discussion. And, 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 you know, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody else be able to crack the code like that. So I think it's super important for what you're doing. Well, thank you. And I, I really appreciate the kind words and, and you know, similarly, uh, just, you know, love what you brought to Andreessen Horowitz and, you know, and, and really kind of flipping the script of, you know, who gets to, to be in this club, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, I think that's what it's all about. So, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, you can take that, uh, Kate, you can take that and just clip it. And so I'm going to be on the back of your book on the galley. At the <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So what, what was, what has been in your just, you know, obviously you've interviewed a bunch of people, not only from the book, but just in general. Is there like, wh who, who do you, who do you think is, is, is doing it at a level where if they did break off and started their own fund that, you know, they think that it could actually be something successful and, and really take off on their own as, as its own business. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's funny. I think, I feel like the, the time at which um, the, the point of the career at which, athletes and entertainers are sort of peeling off and starting around fun is it's getting earlier and earlier. So most of the ones, you know, I think who, who could do it um, are already doing it. And some of them who do do it, you're kind of like, Oh, wow, that was quick. But, uh, but, you know, I, I do think somebody, and this is maybe an obvious one, but who, who's really started to, to get into the investing side of things is Jay-Z um, with it, that $85 million fund, um, you know, and, and I think, uh, I think one of the most fascinating things about that is if you go back, you know, I don't know, 20 years, um, Jay-Z and Nas were, were, you know, were in this kind of incredible lyrical rivalry about, you know, who's the king of New York and let's, you know, who, who had, who put, who got over on the other one on the, on the latest album and, and so forth. And, um, you know, Nas was never really that business oriented, but, um, you know, he, he shortly after Ashton Kutcher really got in um, with the help of, of Ben and, and with his manager, Anthony Sala, and, you know, really became this prolific investor. Yeah. And, uh, there, you know, Jay-Z and Nas for all, all these years, they, they, you know, even even though they become friends, you know, uh, let's say over the past decade or so, uh, like they'll still throw these little barbs at each other. And so... Nas, when I interviewed him for the book, he said something like, um, he says, yeah, Puffy, he always says, you're the one we look to when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> in all of hip hop. And uh, in a funny way, it was like, like a little tweak at Jay-Z. Yeah. And, um, you know, Nas named his, his company uh, Queensbridge, he named his fund Queensbridge Venture Partners um after the housing project he grew up in yeah and jay-z came along and then you know he really started a couple of years ago yeah but he called his thing marcy venture projects uh our venture partners you know again a nod to where he grew up and you know kind of like like hey Nas, i see you and um you know and then and then he kind of quietly ratcheted it up to to you know 85 million dollar fund nothing to sneeze at um, to the point where he's, you know, he's doing it, I think, on a, on a bigger scale, uh, or at least is aiming to do it on a bigger scale than, 
than Nas. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. See, all returns, it's the returns that matter at the end of the yeah. day. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. No, I'm yeah. just – they're both doing great, though. They, I mean, yeah. They're, they're, we've we've had the, the 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 privilege to work with with uh, with with both firms uh, and you know both with Nas and and with Jay and and uh, you know I think that they're like again going back to my statement around just being entrepreneurs as in addition to you know obviously being artists and creatives like but you know understanding that business and being able to tap that into tap into uh, how they can understand culture how they can see um, businesses and, and uh, you know, also like what, what resonates true to them. And so being able to support companies like that, and they've been, they've done a great job so far. And, you know, obviously this is, you can, you can even hear it in the music now, you know, in terms of just people just really about look like, you know, you can't, you know, that there's certain ways in order to get to the B like, you know, if you're going to hit the billion, like you, you can't just do it. Um, you know, the traditional route of just, just selling CDs. And, you know, I mean, you even covered uh, when Jay uh, sold, uh, uh, purchased Armando Bernac, right? And so that was a whole, yeah. that's a whole project um, where now you're going from investing to now, you know, actually like increasing ownership in businesses that you support and, and that resonate with, with what your catalog is and uh, what Puff did with, uh, you know, Ciroc and taking 50% ownership in, in, in that business. And, um, you know, it's it, it, you, you, we needed this first generation to really come in and break open the doors and let people know what's possible. And then just like traditional uh, hip hop culture from there, then we can kind of remix and reinvent the rules. For sure. For sure. For sure. So um, do you think we should open it up to, uh, to questions? Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Well, we got one question from Greg right now. Uh, I mean, George Craig. Uh, so George is basically asking, he's saying, look, um, is having an A-list angel investor better than having um, a, less a less famous angel investor? So mm. that's a great question, great question. Well, I, I think we should both answer it, but I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you my take. Um, you know, I think it, uh, as they say, the devil's in the details and how much you know, is that A-list angel going to do versus the B-list angel? Can you write that into the agreement you have with them? Um, you know, do you know specifically what it is you want from them um, as an investor? And can you write it in such a way that it'll, you know, guarantee that they actually do it? That's one of the things that came up in, in, in writing the book. People say, well, it's great to have famous investors. It's not so great if they don't do anything um, and you've given them equity. Um, you know, certainly there are a lot of the quote, quote unquote B-list angels uh, who, who are maybe a little more hungry and, you know, more eager to, to you know, prove themselves um, and to kind of work to increase the value because it, it has more of a material impact, you know, on, on, their own, uh, on their own net worth or what have you. So um, yeah, I think it also depends on, like, depending on, on what your business is, you may find, you may find it uh, much more advantageous to have like a, you know, a local athlete who's maybe not as well known, um, you know, as, a, as an angel that then, you know, a big national celebrity who's maybe not, not necessarily so associated with whatever it is you're trying to do. Yep. Yep. No, I think that makes sense. My perspective, I always tell people, look, like, if you think that 
an A-list, B-list, whatever is going to make or break your company, then you should probably reevaluate your company uh, in the first place. Like, I think Airbnb is a great example. Like, Ashton Kutcher investing in Airbnb didn't turn Airbnb into the company it is today. It was already there on top before and it's there now. Uh, but, like, having talent work with companies just really kind of can add an infuse um, you know, a new level of creativity, culture, and partnerships that traditionally weren't there before. And so, you know, the first thing is really just knowing that, you know, regardless of it's A, B, C, whatever, like your company is at the end of the day is going to make or break because of yourself and the business and the idea uh, and the companies that, and the people that, you know, are looking for talent to save their companies. Those are the tough businesses. And those are the ones that, you know, especially on our side that we have to make sure that we're counseling uh, the people that we're working with to just always evaluate it from a, a very, uh, you know, a, just deep diligence. Um, and then the second thing is really like when you have to look at it, A versus B, like I think you covered all the, all the points around why it makes sense um, uh, to, to have an A-list uh, investor. But at the end of the day, like, like the money's green regardless of what what you know tier you're at right and so you know if you're starting early sometimes and you're looking for angel investors like having uh someone that might be uh you know on on the tier the the second tier or whatever like they they still can add meaningful capital they can still open up doors um you know they might not be on the cover of you know nba 2k but they with the, the value that they can bring in terms of just relationships and, you know, from the financial support of the business is it makes them an accredited investor. And so you always have to keep that top of mind too. Yeah. And, and I think by the same token, um, one, of the, one of the things that kind of keeps popping into my head is, is like, if you're, uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you're debating whether or not to, you know, to bring on some angels, a list or B list or what have you, um, you know, the, in a lot of cases, the the drawback, the main drawback to me is simply the the extra work to to onboard somebody over you know not that much money comparatively, right? Um, if if these people are throwing down you know twenty grand or something like that, it you know it's not it's not going to make or break a company. Um, but you do have to go through the process of of getting them on in the paperwork and all that. Um, but it's not really a huge downside and it's just 20 grand that, you know, let's say some other investor isn't going to put in, or maybe some investors already putting in a few hundred thousand dollars is going to put in it. You know, it just, it's just um, a different kind of strategic investor. And there's not a, I just, to me, there's not a ton of downside to it. Exactly. Yeah, no, it all just depends on what, what route you want to take. So um, no, that's a great, great question. Uh, and thank, thanks again for, for, for tuning in too. So, um, so Kelly, Kelly's really interested and Kelly, you should definitely, if you want to see Zach, uh, in his prime, do you, you think it's on his, it's on YouTube, uh, uh, for, uh, the Kanye West video. Um, and so, but they we just, just give us a quick two minute, like how did that come together? Why was that important? Like, and then also if you can also maybe break, break into a little bit of around, like how does what Kanye is doing right now, especially with the Adidas tie into uh, this, this broader conversation with the A-list. Yeah, no, um, I'd say that the Kanye story ties into this 
when it comes to the idea of ownership, um, which is really at the core of everything we're talking about, right? How do, how do athletes and entertainers um, come to, you know, to really have a stake in the things that they're, that they're creating and promoting. Um, so whether it's 50 cent getting equity uh, for, for his vitamin water deal or, or Kanye building his own easy brand. Um, and so that's what the story was about for Forbes. This was a cover last summer and uh, it came together over a couple days. I'll spare you the long version because we'd be here for probably several days. Is this the, bil um, is this the billionaire cover? It was the uh, celebrity issue cover. And so, Con so, you know, every year we put out this list of the 100 highest paid entertainers on the planet. Um, and we look for somebody who's doing something different. And Kanye was clearly going to be on the list. And every year when we put the numbers together, we'll, we'll come up with an estimate and then we'll bounce it off of whoever we're, we're writing about and we give them an opportunity to comment. And so Kanye's people were kind of like, um, he doesn't want to be on the list. So we're not, you know, getting, we're not going to tell you. And, and I said, well, you know, it's not the 100 highest paid entertainers other than Kanye West. So, you know, we, we kind of, we're going to make our best estimate and we're going to go with it. And they're like, okay, well, your estimate is really low. And I said, can you, you know, explain, you know, here's the breakdown. Where do you think it's low? Why is it low? Can you provide documentation? And they said, um, you know, would you be willing to talk about a cover? And, uh, and, I, and I said, uh, sure, you know, went to the, the head honcho. Next thing I know, 48 hours later, I'm, I'm out there in, um, at his house. And, uh, you know, we go through, I mean, it's, it's the whole thing. Um, you know, when you walk in, it's like you, you, you have to put your shoes, wrap them in these little cloth booties because he, he's got, uh, the, the floor is made of this Dutch plaster or something. Um, and, uh, and you can't smudge it. Otherwise I have to call on the, the crew from Europe. Anyway, it's a whole thing, but, but the, the kind of pinnacle of the story is we finished the interview. It's, you know, midnight in LA. Um, and I've just, you know, I'm just coming from New York. So it's 3am my time. He's like, he's like, come on outside. I want to show you something. And, um, I'm like, okay. I thought maybe he's got to, you know, he's going to mm -hmm. take me to a workshop. He would take me to his car. I'll tell you his tiger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're go, we're like bombing down the hill. He's blasting Bach. Um, and, and, and we get to this cabin in the woods and there are these three guys on laptops and they're clattering away, preparing a deck for the next day. And, you know, he's like, change that color, change that font. And he's like, I want to show you something else. And we go into the back and now it's one in the morning and he's leading me through the woods and like the mountains of Calabasas by the light of an iPhone. I'm like, I'm going to get eaten by a mountain lion with Kanye West and I'm going to be a footnote and just a footnote in the obituary. This is it. And um, we get to a clearing in the woods and he looks up wordless and there are these three giant structures and, um, and, it, and, it, and it's uh, and I say, can you describe what these are? And, and, and uh, he said, yeah, they're, they're, my, uh, they're my housing concept, my new housing concept uh, for the homeless. And I said, can I put my recorder back on and so you can explain it? And he goes, no, I think you should paint a picture with your words. So I, I sit there in the silence, the dead of night, jotting in my, in my notebook. And, uh, and, and we go back to the, to the Lamborghini and he drops me off my rental car and, and that's, that's the night. So, um, but the story was really about Yeezy uh, and, and how he had, how he had built this thing from, from the ground up and, you know, come to really own, um, come to really own, you know, something that 
10 years ago, 20 years ago, that, that stars of his magnitude would, would only be getting endorsement deals to do and, and you know, building um, like a, an astronomical uh, net worth to, to the point where he, you know, he's going to, I mean, he's, he's set for life. So, yeah. Um, so someone, uh, Clint's asking about basically um, the Golden State Warriors Silicon Valley connection. Uh, he says, you know, several players like Andre Iguodala have invested work with startups while uh, the team owner, Joe Lacob, is very successful VC with Kleiner Perkins. Uh, do you want to answer that or do you want me to? Um, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give my take on it um, and feel free to follow up. But, I, you know, the Warriors definitely, there's that connection. And you kind of got the sense when Kevin Durant went there, you know, that, that much like stars used to go to L.A. to play with the thought that they would become movie stars in their off time or when they retired, um, you know, I think I think that's happening to some extent with Silicon Valley and with the Warriors. But in a way, you know, this isn't totally a new thing. Um, Joe Montana likes to talk about how, you know, he's rubbing elbows with the the uh, the most important folks in the Valley for years and back in his playing days. And it's just a matter of, you know, if you're in San Francisco and you're and you're, you know, sort of uh, on the on the uh, certain circles, you're going to be going to charity benefit type events and you're going to be rubbing elbows or what do you rub elbows or shoulders I guess mm -hmm. uh, hopefully neither these days you stay six feet away and you just uh operate in the same circles but but that you know just by virtue of playing in San Francisco there's always been kind of this this back and forth and it's just been you know especially um prevalent of late but I don't know what do you what do you think well I mean to me like it was uh probably some of the greatest times of my life <laughs> like it just being hanging out and being a part of that whole ecosystem so like we we worked really closely with Andre Iguodala to uh from the beginning when uh he was getting into venture um and then also um you know with KD uh when once he came out here too then it just really just put the whole industry on fire in terms of just Silicon Valley and getting into great opportunities and so um, you know, I, I think it's just this, it, you, you could really, I mean, like, I felt like when I went to Oracle, uh, it was like going to the office, you know, because it was like, you know, building with the players, building with, you know, people that are in the room. So you have, you know, from, you know, Ben sitting courtside to, uh, you know, Johnny Ive being right there to, you know, uh, Brian Chesney's have with, with his seats and you have, you know, everybody's just, wrapped around the, the entire and then you go to the bar and you see more and more people it's just this constant just flow of just energy which was it was it, and on top of them you know every single time Steph hits a three like you know, the game really <laughs> like everybody's going crazy and so but really it's just kind of like look like this is what the bay area is this is what you know this industry um is is, is really focused on and Andre was just at our office earlier this year uh, and he was actually it was the end of last year and he was, you know, just doing a, he came in as an intern, <laughs> you know, for a few days and came in and just sat down and built with the, with the firm and got a chance to really just see what it's really about. And, uh, you know, and you can just tell when people lock in um, just in terms of get, like, okay, I want to sit down and really learn and put the time in. Uh, that you, you start to notice that there's just a different energy. And then you also get a chance to see the results that also kind of come from that, uh, putting in that effort. And, you know, like I remember Andre would send us, you know, stock tips and 
uh, you know, he reads the Wall Street Journal every day. So he's, you know, always 10 steps ahead. And it's just the DNA. And I think that being here in the Bay, uh, just kind of, you know, that you're going to get access to those opportunities. But the most important thing is just really staying locked in around it. So, um, so yeah. And then I guess I, the last question is, uh, is with, um, uh, Joe, he was just, he's just asking like, look, he's got his company. He wants to take off. Uh, how do we, how do you, how do we find out? Like, how do we find out or how does the, the attendees find out kind of who's, who's investing into what? Right. And, and also where, like, where are they, where are they investing into? What type of companies do you invest into? You can read my book. Uh, you, know. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, no, I, I think, it is hard. I mean, it to you know, because all this is these are all private companies. It's hard to know exactly who's going and when they're going. Um, but man, you know, I gotta say, I just I spent a lot of time kind of roaming through Crunchbase and you know, just just going in and, and clicking, just following the chain all around. You know, the entire valley from you know, you start to see kind of clusters of people who work together, and you know. Places like Crunchbase are super helpful, um, although not entirely complete, but you can kind of start to predict, you know, you start to see like, oh, well, Andreessen Horowitz is in on this thing. Um, Nas tends to invest in a lot of the things that Andreessen Horowitz invests in. Uh, you know, you, you kind of start to see patterns and you can almost, you know, get a sense of what, what the next one might be. So, um, you know, generally uh, I, I'd say, you get kind of like a peak going places like that reading the news the news pieces but you know that's just the tip of the iceberg um and and, and the more you familiarize yourself with it the more you can kind of get a sense of, of where somebody's going to go next thanks for listening stay tuned for our next conversations podcast coming soon if you have a story that needs to be shared we'd love to hear from you for more information on Shack 15 and our community, you can email info at shack15.com, connect with us on Instagram, or visit our website at shack15.com.